Remember when the woman of Imran said, My Lord, I have vowed to thee what is in my womb to be dedicated to thy service, so do accept it of me, verily thou art alone art all hearing and all knowing. In this verse we read about the birth of Hazrat Maryam. And here we find that her mother was speaking to Allah and said, My Lord, I vow what is in my womb to thee. Meaning, whatever Allah is going to bless me with, whatever child is with me, whatever child is born, I give that child to you, O Allah. Muharraran. Here the translation has been made to be dedicated to thy service. And yes, it means that as well. But what's interesting about the word muhararan is from har or it means muhararan can also mean to become free. Meaning, oh Allah, I give this child to you so that it can be free. Process that for a moment. Why would giving a child to Allah make it free? I thought running away from the mosque makes you free. I thought going as far away from Salat and all these divine things makes you free. That's the concept of liberty. But here, Hazrat Maryam's mother is saying, No, Allah, I will give this child to you and then the child will be free. I want us to ponder over why that would be the case today. In connection to the, the famous words that we've been discussing for quite some time now from the Declaration of Independence, which is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have been talking about how life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within our faith, how does it apply in our lives? And we've been speaking specifically about the term or the phrase or the word liberty. And that is why I chose this verse and I chose this story from the Holy Quran about liberty, because as you know, liberty means to become free, to have freedom. And here, the context of freedom is in fact going towards Allah, not away from Allah. How and why would that be the case? Just keep that in your mind as we discuss this. How does giving to Allah make you free? And the basic answer to this is that we sometimes forget that the shackles of this world they in fact make us slaves of this world. What does that mean? A lot of the things that we do on a daily basis, we think it is a sign of liberty and freedom. But in fact, it is slavery. It is the slavery of this materialistic world. Let me give you an example. Anybody who works 9 to 5 would know that it is a, it is a freedom that I work I earn my own money, I'm able to buy a house that I want, I'm able to buy a car that I want, that is my freedom. But if you were to ask, let's say a hippie, do you think this person who has a 9 to 5 job has freedom? 
They will say, no, absolutely not. How could that be freedom? You work, you live your whole entire life for these corporations. You live around the clock based on their schedule, their demands, their work. Then you, whatever raise you get, you end up buying more. So then you're back into the same amount of income. And it's just a vicious cycle. You are, in fact, a slave. Now, I wouldn't say that we agree with hippies here in any way or form. But I just want to give you the example of how somebody who disconnects from the basic realities of this world can identify that the 9 to 5 jobs that we have are in fact not liberating. Let me give you another example. Anybody who lives in the same type of life who buys the next iPhone, very excited that he bought it, and looks forward to the next one to come out. If you were to ask a monk that this person is free because he's able to buy every new iPhone whenever it comes out. And the monk will tell you that you don't need these things. That's not freedom. That's a slavery. That every time he is desirous of this phone, he can't live without this phone. And therefore, the phone controls his life. The demand for that phone. And it could be video games. It could be a whole host of things. It could be the newest car. It could be an electric car. It could be all kinds of things that we desire so much that sometimes it consumes us. Sometimes we're on the internet looking at different deals where we can make 10, 15, $20, maybe even just 10% discount and we would purchase it immediately. All of these are hooks to keep us engaged in this materialistic world. Let me give you another example, even simpler than that. Somebody who wishes to eat all the sugary things in the world would say that he is living a free life. Donuts are put in front of him, eats it. Ice cream, loves it. Anything, gulab jamun, beautiful. Laddu, amazing. But anybody who is controlling their weight, not even controlling, just being conscious of what they're eating, their cholesterol, their exercising daily. When they see this person who's eating every laddu that comes his way, every gulab jamun that comes his way, they would look at this person and say, he's not free. He is a slave. A slave to these sweets. He cannot live without them. But that person who's eating the sweets, he will say, you're a madman. I'm enjoying life. I am free. I can eat whatever I want. The reason I'm giving you these examples, I want you to realize that sometimes we live a life where we are slaves to the world and we don't realize it. We don't recognize it. We think we are free. We are given this false notion, this concept that we are somehow free, but we are in fact not free. All of this happens, all of this marketing that we are surrounded by happens in the name of freedom. Promiscuity, meaning dressing a certain way, in an inappropriate way, in an immodest way, has also been masked in the concept of liberty and freedom. In the same way, men are convinced to look flashy and have expensive things. Expensive phones or watches or cars. In the same way, they are convinced in the name of liberty and freedom that that's okay. Now I want us to discuss really briefly a survey that had taken place. There's been a Netflix show on it and so many other things. But the nutshell, in a nutshell, this is what it was. They talked about this concept of attraction. How people are attracted to the opposite gender. 
And they try to identify what are those things that enhance or improve attraction and what are those things that decrease it. And what they came to know was when they basically got a group of men and they had women come in front of them and they had women in different job clothings, they had women in different um, expensive clothing, but then they had just some women, regardless of what they were wearing or their job status or their family status, they were wearing less clothing than the others. And they asked the men who they thought were more attractive. And every time the vast majority of the men, irrespective of what they were wearing, what job status they had, where, whether they had a smile or not, whoever was wearing less, the men thought they were more beautiful. Now they flipped the circle, they flipped the side. Now they had the women deciding who they felt was more attractive. And they had men come in the room, and again, same story. They had men dressed in different uniforms. They had men dressed less clothing than others. They had men dressed in different ways. And then they asked the women who they thought were more attractive. And it was interesting because they had a very handsome man wearing a janitor uniform or a not so handsome man wearing a doctor's uniform. Every time the women felt that the doctor or the engineer or the lawyer was more attractive. More than the janitor at least. Now, I'm not going to say that this is 110% foolproof. There's further studies that have, been, that have been there. But the essence of it is this. And in fact, when I've shared this with some of the young Lajna in other cities, they said, are you trying to imply that Nauzubillah women are gold diggers? Right? And I said, no, not at all. There is an essence of why men look towards the physical characteristics of women, and women look towards their, let's say, financial status, their jobs, their job security. Because men live in a very primitive state when it comes to attraction, while women have the ability to look ahead. They are visionaries. They know that they will have a family, and therefore financial security will help sustain their families. They know this instinctually. And men instinctually are very primitive when it comes to attraction. Why am I mentioning this to you? The promised Messiah in fact says, he says that if you want to know what a virtue is, a good deed, right? Savab. If you really want to know what a good deed is, he said a good deed is when you have the desire to do it and you hold yourself back. He said, if you don't have the desire and you do the good deed or you don't do a bad deed, but you don't have the desire, he said, it's not a virtue. For example, he said, there are some men who just their physical bodies or whatever reason, they are not attracted to women. He said, they cannot say that they have sawab or virtue because they don't look at women. He said, that's not a virtue. A virtue is if a man is inclined Desirous of looking at women But does not He looks down He lowers his gaze He said that's a virtue And that applies in every single thing we do There was a khadim who came to me and said Rabbi Saab I love to get a tattoo I've always wanted one all my life Am I allowed to? And of course I gave him the answer He said but I I'm so desirous to get it What does Islam say to me? And I explained to him I said you know what's interesting? I have no desire for a tattoo but I cannot stand in front of Allah and say, Allah, I never got a tattoo, I should get a virtue. 
But you, if you resist yourself, you will get blessings for this. That was enough to turn his mind and understand that is the beauty of Islam. And it goes throughout. Every aspect of our lives exactly applies in this way. So now, now that we've understood that there is an attraction, think about the last time you may or may not have seen an advertisement on the TV. What will you see? You will see men surrounded by riches. They're either a very expensive car, very expensive watches, even if they're music videos, they have these things as well. And women will always be less clothed than others. Why is that? Why does marketing surround themselves by these two concepts? Because they know that is the primary way to attract the opposite gender. And how does Islam respond to that? How does Islam educate us? Remember, we are created by Allah. Allah has drawn out our DNA. He has drawn out what we are attracted to, what we are not attracted to. So guess what Allah says? O ye men. And O ye women. There is going to be parda for both of you. Now listen to me carefully. I said parda for both men and women. And we're going to talk about that today very briefly. We know what the parda for women is. We've heard this a hundred times, millions of times. The parda for women, of course, is to cover themselves. Why? Because now you understand men are designed in their primitive state that they are attracted to women who uncover themselves. So Allah says, O women, you may not know this. You may not think the same way they do. But here is a warning to you. These men will objectify you. These men will look towards you in a very unpromising way. You should therefore cover yourself. So whenever I explain this to anybody, my wife especially, whenever she explains this to other girls, she says, never do parda because your mom said so. Know this, Allah has told us for a reason. What is that reason? Because He knows how men think. They did a survey in England, where they said men and girls and boys are always friends. They're always friends. They said, but in this study, they found that boys who have girls as friends, and girls who have boys as friends, what happens? They said, no matter what you do, there will always be an instance when the boy will think more about the girl in an intimate way than the girl will ever think about the boy. Okay? This is why they don't allow, where Islam says you should not have friendships that are with the opposite gender. It tells the girls this first and foremost. Don't think that these boys are your friends. They have, again, a very primitive state of attraction. They will, it will switch on at some point. Studies have proven this. Whether or not you're a saint or not. Now I'll go to the other part of this. This of course we understand, this is what Allah said to women. What does Allah Almighty say to men? What is the one thing that men cannot wear? Gold and silk. Why? What are gold and silk the sign of? Being poor? Sign of wealth. You see, we're restricted too. You and I cannot wear gold and silk. That is our parda. But this parda is again just a basic understanding for us. We have to extend it to other things. If what we wear is flashy, if we are purposefully buying a very expensive car so we can attract other people, 
Guess what? We are falling prey to the same thing and we are breaking our parda. Just like if we have seen in times where there will be girls who wear the scarf but they are wearing nothing underneath. What's the point? They are breaking their parda. We've talked about Jewish women who think that they have to cover their head. So what do they do? They cut their hair and put a wig on. This is how they justify covering their head. We are blessed that Allah has taught both men what they need to do. Of course, both men and women have to lower their gaze. They have to eliminate the attraction to begin with. But even more so, more importantly, men cannot flaunt their wealth because that is a means of attraction. And women should not flaunt their bodies because that is a means of attraction. Allah Almighty beautifully has taught both of us, both groups, what to do and why to do it. How many times have we seen, we've told women, please do your parda, but the men haven't. Men had even no idea maybe. We've forgotten. Yeah, we don't wear gold, but we do everything else under the sun to make sure that we attract through our wealth, whether it's a flashy car or whatever it may be. So it's very important for us to remember this. The other part of this that we have to remember is that when we talk about liberty, freedom, one part we forget is that we may be following this concept of freedom and liberty, but the reality is we are just following the demands that exist in society. There is a thing that's called the marriage market. I'll briefly explain it. A marriage market is basically, if we were to take this room as, or even the masjid today, as an island. Let's say we have 50 people here. Out of the 50 people, if there are more women than men, who controls the marriage market? If there are more women than men, who controls the marriage market? Who's higher in demand? The men, right? Supply and demand, right? So supply and demand is there are less men than women. Therefore the men dictate what women shall do to get to the men. If there are less men than women, then what happens? Sorry, if there are more men than women, then what happens? Who holds the... It switches. <coughs> there are times in history, the Victorian times, when there were fewer women than men. And you can go back and look at those pictures. What do you see those men wear at that time? Have you seen those pictures? They have wigs. They have colorful clothing. They have big decorative things that they would wear. There's a whole series of the Victorian times of men dressing up in a very different way than they do today. Because they were, in, they were, <laughs> they were more than the women. The women were less higher in demand, and therefore they had to do whatever they could to court the women to make sure that they can get attraction from the women. But over time, today in this world, there are seven women to every man, or around about there. There's a huge, huge disparity in how many women there are to men. Let's just take America for example. There's a huge disparity on how many women there are to men. Marriageable I'm talking about. So what happens? This idea of liberty... We forget that it was dictated by the people who were higher in demand. It is the men who decided women should wear less clothing. It is the men who decided what the women should wear, how they should wear it. And over time, you and I had forgotten where this came from, why it even exists to begin with. And so we fell prey to say, you know what, we want to wear those clothes. 
We want to fit into society. But we forgot that Islam says, try to break those trends. If you follow the trends blindly, you will not realize why you are following the trend, and you will fall prey to other vices. Islam says, no matter what the marriage market is, women, you should cover yourself, because men will objectify you. And men, you should not flaunt your wealth, because then you will be pulling attraction unnecessarily. And this is why, whenever we look at this, we see in this world today, in America, we have the Me Too movement. What does the Me Too movement show us? It shows us, it doesn't matter how educated the man is, it doesn't matter how rich and wealthy he was, they will always become primitive in their attraction to women, whoever they are working for, in this American society, they will take advantage of them. So this should be enough of an eye-opener for all of us to understand how Allah Almighty has taught us how we can protect our society. It is not, it is not a slavery of our faith. It is a freedom. Just like Hazrat Maryam's mother said, I give this child to you Allah, so that this child would be free. If today we follow what Allah Almighty says, we could actually have a society that is genuinely free. Where women can roam the street and work anywhere they want to and rise up in society so much so. Just like in Muslim countries today, it is only in Muslim countries where the women were presidents of the country, not in Western countries. Because these countries pretend to be free, but in reality they're not. They don't allow women to rise up to those statuses. But in Muslim countries they have. They have been presidents of countries before. And so in a free society, a truly free society, where we follow what Allah has enjoined on us, we may even find that true freedom to be able to rise up, to grow, and to live, inshallah ta'ala, in a happy and free world. This is why it is very important for us, both men and to women, follow the injunctions of parda, lowering your gaze, following all the other injunctions as well, and then inshallah, Allah Almighty will help us to see the days of true freedom. Amen.